Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. This is episode 36. Um, this is a really fun interview. It's really long. It's about an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, but I interviewed the very funny and talented Eric Moneypenny. He teaches classes at the Pack Theater and is a professional writer. If you guys remember back in the second podcast episode uh, with Gina Ippolito, she recommended everyone to take his class. So I took his class and then interviewed him. And we talk about a lot of cool things, including him auditioning for Saturday Night Live, uh, sketch writing, finding your passion in comedy, and choosing, out of all the things to do, what to focus on, also doing everything, and a lot more. There's a lot of wisdom and learning in this episode, so I really recommend that you guys listen to it. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Austin Nasso here. You're listening to episode 36. I'm with Eric Moneypenny. Hey. Uh, hey, Eric. <laughs> See, I never, I still like haven't found a way to like casually introduce you in the third person while having you next to me. <laughs> so I'm trying to make it not a weird thing, but I'm going to read your bio. Uh, Eric is a writer for AOK, former writer for the Eric Andre Show, a writer performer for the Midnight Show at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Uh, He's written both short-form comedy sketches and longer-form TV shows, and he also teaches sketch writing classes at the Pack Theater, and that's how I met him, And because Gina also recommended me to take his class, his, your, I don't know how to switch to that, but yeah, yeah. hey. <laughs> How's it going? Good, man. Thanks for coming uh, to North Hollywood to uh, be here in my dining room table. Yeah, it's nice. You got a nice table. It's high. Got chairs. And yeah, the, I found it on cool. Facebook Marketplace. Oh, really? You get really good deals. I think this was like maybe 180 or something. That's a great deal. Something this is, this ridiculous. Is a quality item. Yeah, they uh, were getting rid of it. That too. That couch was okay. That was more expensive. <laughs> that was like 500. But I just get tricked sometimes by Facebook Marketplace, where like sometimes it's like rent 1,200 bucks for a three bedroom, and it's like oh, you got to move in with two other people yeah and it's just the room yeah 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 it's it's like that i think uh when i was trying to find additional roommates i did that and people thought it was the whole place yeah here for sure as well yeah so how what how have you been how's your your recent weeks i haven't seen you since um since since class. class yeah beginning of november pretty much uh good um I've been uh, developing a show um, that started off through AOK, and uh, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about, it, but um, we're taking out the pitch in the new year because we're recording this on January, beginning of January. I'm not going to them up, but um, yeah, I've been focusing on that. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Nice. Awesome. Uh... <laughs> So, you you've done so many cool things. I just remember like just talking about your when you were talking about your background in class. I was just so interested in everything. Uh, you started out as like doing stand up comedy when you moved here. Like that was part of the thing you did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I did stand up and and sketch and improv when I first started. 
because uh, when you're first starting, that's like a, the best time to kind of try everything and, and figure out like what you like. Um, so I, I, I started doing stand-up like right when I was in college and started doing sketch right when I was in college. I did, I went to Ohio University in, in Athens, Ohio, not Ohio State, but uh, it's also like a, a, a good school and has a great uh, communications department and, and and a big focus on on comedy. Part of the reason why I wanted to go was because they had a show there that was like an SNL, but like kind of run by the school called Fridays Live. Oh yeah, very uh, creative title. And uh, so I, w I wanted to work on that and um, do some stand up and stuff around campus and uh, sort of get experience while not being in, like, a big city. Because, um, like, one of the places I wanted to go was, like, NYU, and didn't want to be in, like, $200,000 worth of debt when I left school. Yeah. And um, doing it in New York City when you're, like, thrown in the freaking shark tank or, or whatever, like, right out of a college might have been, like, a, a tough thing. And there's pros and cons to, to both. Because uh, moving out to LA right after college was a little bit of a shock, where it was like, oh, the things that are necessarily funny in college aren't as funny to to jaded comedians at an open mic or or, or like whatever the situation yeah. is, and, and it's hard not to become. I'm not. I feel like that's where casting I any. I'm not throwing shade at like people who do open mics because like. It's a tough situation to not get jaded and bitter when you're doing. But um, yeah, I started doing stuff in college and, and moved out here when I was really young because I graduated from college in three and a half years. Um, could have been 21. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I might have been 20 when I moved. Because wow. I was always young for my grade. But uh, yeah. Moved out here and just started doing it. Started doing stand-up shows, and we put together, like, a sketch team. I moved out here with a couple guys I, I went to college with and did comedy with, and we just got together with people we met in, like, class at, like, the Groundlings and, and people that we were starting to meet around the scene and, like, started a sketch group. And we performed it at the, the former I.O. West, because like there wasn't like a UCB yet, and and all that stuff. Because this is like 2002. But it, it was still iOS at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a thing before. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It was always in that. Well, I think it might have been in a, in a different. Sure. Turn my phone off. <laughs> That's okay. Um. I think it might have been in in a location over where the pack is, like at first. But that was like in the I think the late 90s, and it was always kind of in that. Hollywood Boulevard location where all the squatters yeah. were living in, I guess, as of a month ago or whenever that was. Did you see that? No. People were living in there? Yeah. In like, the old theater? Yeah. There was, like, squatters and, and stuff like that. There was a... It was on the news. Like, there was, like, 50 people living there and, like, guns it was abandoned. And, and drugs and stuff. Yeah, and I guess it was unlocked. That's so weird and sad because I remember, like, what, about exactly... Well, basically in January of 2018 it closed. Yeah. Or something like that. And now one year later it's a heroin den. Yeah. Well not now. Now it's uh Oh it's not anymore. Now they, it's they all it up. Yeah, they they got everybody out of there. But uh 
don't know why that's <laughs> funny. There's like a former comedy place. A beloved, cherished institution is like a headquarters for a criminal organization. Yeah. That's kind of funny. Plus there's like, there's windows all around the outside on both sides. So like, I don't know. Like you can just see it. Yeah. There's like, no I don't know how they were hiding unless they're in like the training center rehearsal space areas or, or whatever. But this is probably wow. a fun time for whoever was doing it. Um, so you joined iOS is the point. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even, like, study there. Like, they just used to have, like, a thing where... I think it was kind of always this way, where, like, you could just get a show. As long as... Like, tickets were, like, five bucks. And as long as you made your rent of, like, 200 bucks. Like, not necessarily different... For show? Yeah, like, not necessarily different than, like, a bringer show for stand-up, where you have to... Bring five people or bring ten people to watch you do stand-up, which is, like, the worst freaking thing. But, uh, they're like, yeah, if you get 40 people to show up that pay, like, you can do a show. And, and we did a show there for, I think, about a year, year and a half, something like that. And then we kind of stopped doing it, and then we got back into doing it, and, uh, we were doing a show at El Cid, which is, uh, have you ever performed there? I heard of it a lot. Yeah, it's I over on, uh, it's still there. It's on Sunset and, well, it's on Sunset. It's over, like, in Silver Lake. And, uh, it's more of, like, kind of, kind of like a Mexican restaurant slash bar. But they have a big stage because, like, it used to be a place where they screen movies, like, back in, like, the 1920s or whatever. Really? Yeah, and, uh... There was a show there, and we were we were doing a show. My group that was performing at iOS, and Matt Walsh was at the show uh, from UCB, and he was like, "Oh, that was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna be starting up our own UCB space uh, out here." I like the LA one. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> he uh, was like, "Oh, you guys should have a show because like they had a whole schedule to fill." So like my sketch group performed it used to be pretty much from the very beginning like we had a show there before i was in the first ucb la writing class uh but we had shows there before it was they were even offering classes um and like right around the same time so that was like kind of a cool lucky time i think to be involved that's cool getting in on things like that before they totally blow up yeah it just like i don't know it's it's analogous to like when people are like I don't know, in, like, finance and stuff, people are like, yeah, we got into, like, Google um, in 2000. Oh, and yeah. Stuff. Like, it's like getting into these things that are the huge institutions now that are, like, actually really hard to probably break into because it's so competitive. Yeah. Like, UCB, like, it's probably not as easy to just get a show now. That's, like, when they're trying to fill a schedule. Yeah, I mean, to get a show, like, we just wrapped up our run there with my second sketch group the midnight show we did like 10 straight years of sold out shows that's and, insane and wow. after a while um it was like you'd go to a party at ucb and you're like who the fuck are, are all these new people because that's how like it is with comedy schools like if you're not just sort of constantly involved in like the scene at like a ucb or a uh, Pack or Ruby or Second City or Groundlings, like there's just such a churn rate of students that 
if you just stop going by for six months or a year, like sometimes it's gonna be like, wow, there's like all new people here and like all new clicks and all new like whatever. Um, that's just what, like, one of the weird things about yeah. the comedy school situation. That's weird. It just reminds me of kind of like people describe the comedy store as being like frat of comedy. Yeah. But in a way, I mean, it's not frat, but like it's just like in a, this school club or something. And it's like once you're like the upperclassmen, you just start to see the like the new people and you're like, oh, I don't recognize my friends anymore here. Yeah. But that's interesting. So is that the Midnight Show stop? Yeah, we stopped in, uh, we had our last show in August just because, like, all of us, I mean, when you do something for 10 years, like, we started when we were, like, kind of in our mid to late 20s, and we were just all broke and struggling and angry at the world and at the industry and all this stuff, and we're like, oh, we're gonna do the best fucking sketch show in the world, or, like, whatever. Can we swear on this? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, did like the best sketch show in the world and whatever, and then like we did like a pretty good sketch show for a long time and made some fun videos and stuff like that. And then like ten years in, you're like once everyone's kind of working and stuff, then it becomes harder to get motivated to hate on your employers. Well, no, just to <laughs> just to buy a bunch of wigs and costumes and, and do a show every month. It it got increasingly to where it was like just hard for us to be in the same room not because we didn't like each other because we like each other a lot but just like because of our schedules and stuff so really? that's it's like hard to rehearse hard to yeah like. it's hard to do anything and and when you're doing that it's like let's let's go out while it's still good wow more so than i never got to see it go man. out when it's like sad and pathetic yeah, that makes sense. Those will be, like, the reunion shows. Those will be the ones that are, like, sad and pathetic. Cause... That's huge, though. Ten years. That, yeah. Even... Wow. Ten years doing the same show, and it's blowing up like that. Yeah, I mean, it was, like, a lot of the... A lot of the same people stuck around. Like, everyone who was around was there from... At the end was there pretty much from the beginning. But there was, like, some turnover, like, uh, throughout the years. Like, when we started, like, James Adomian was in it. And, like, Josh Fadum was in it. And, and all these people and like as they saw more and more success they kind of dropped off and did their own thing and uh stephanie allen was in it and she's great um and and those of us who stuck around were just like we really just fucking love doing crazy sketch comedy once a month or whatever it was or, or making crazy videos uh so yeah, it was, it was a really good time. That's fun. So even the audience, you think a lot of the same audience members stuck around? Is that what you meant, or more of the just the performers? Oh, uh, more more so the performers, because like with the audience, there was always like like it always sold out, but it was there'd be like different waves of a lot of, of new faces of people. Yeah, because it's like it, it's one of those things where like anything you do for that long is gonna start to kind of repeat itself. So, like, after you saw, like, two years of it, you're like, all right, I get it. <laughs> and then, like, new people would discover it, and they'd be like, oh, I get it. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and then when you do your last show, then you get, like, 2,000 people trying to get into, like, a 100-seat building. Really? Like, everybody, like, asking for tickets. It's like, oh, I was here from the beginning. It's like, well, sorry the show sold out in, like, five minutes. There's really Whoa. nothing we can do. It's that popular. Uh, like, 
And when you do like your last show. actually like 2,000 people, you think? There was a lot of people asking us, like, hey, can we get in? And we, well, now it's passed, so, like, we don't have to get in trouble with the fire marshal. But we were, like, trying everything we could do where it was, like, all right, like, so-and-so, like, you can be backstage. And, like, the whole thing was full. We probably had, like, 200 people in that 99-seat theater to watch the show, just, like, on the wings and backstage hanging out and all kinds of stuff. Did you guys, like, actually profit from the success of the show? Like, did you, were you able to make money from that show? Uh, yeah, not so much from doing the show at UCB because, I mean, that's always, like, a, a controversial thing where just talking about, like, comedy theaters, like, paying the people who perform, mm-hmm. it's always, like, a big discussion online and like you'll see people whose intentions are in the right place where it's like well they're making so much money they should pay the performers or whatever and it's like well it's you're not putting up broadway shows or like anything like that you're you're doing improv or you're doing sketch and like if they pull in like what like 500 a night like even if that like they still have to pay people to run the organization and all that stuff and like whatever is like left over brought in for our show and then it's like they're paying us like 10 bucks so at yeah. that point it's like that doesn't yeah, it's not gonna they, do they just anything they have to cover their rent and their expenses I don't know yeah. I heard from like people that like I don't know if it's true or not but it sounds like UCB's like in debt and not like a financially like sound organization yeah I mean I don't know what's going on I, I've seen all the same stories too but yeah. that's like every time like money comes up with UCB, everyone's like everyone gets uptight. They're like, oh, they should pay the performers, and it's like, well, th- there's a way to pay the performers, and the way to do it is something that would just piss everyone off. The way to do it would just be like, okay, we're gonna be like Second City Chicago or the Groundlings, where we'll do a show every night, and it's the best ten people, and tickets are twenty five bucks or 40 bucks or however much yeah. and then like those 10 people will make a living doing it which takes away like ex- so much stage time stage time and experience and development from hundreds or probably even thousands of people who who regularly perform there so it's like kind of a a weird chicken and egg discussion but yeah, I mean we profited not not directly from the show but we did like branded we did branded things for um, Carfax and Hyatt, like these branded videos, and we did uh, we did uh, like a web series for like uh, official comedy, which is now defunct, where they paid us a good amount per episode, and we had deals at different times with different television networks. Like we made a uh, pilot presentation for Comedy Central. And that didn't work out. And then we... A pres- is that different than just a pilot? Yeah, it's more like uh, like super low budget. Where it's just like... Literally you're like not one video. of like the main... Yeah, it's like you're not one of the main things they're considering. But they'll throw you a little bit. Or, or whatever like the, the situation was. Like their yeah, it's like, let's see like- if it's good. Um, and then we had a... Uh, we actually got paid for this one. We got a deal to be on um, Fuel TV because uh, they took like this like pilot that we made, and they were like, 
this is great. We'll just pay you guys to, to air this, and then we'll just make more. And we're like, that sounds great. And uh, then Fuel TV became Fox Sports 2, I think. Really? Yeah. And then it was like, well, no, we're not going to put you up with, like, Big East basketball and UFC fighting or, like, whatever. So They just totally changed the channel. Yeah. Yeah, they... They do that a lot in cable, where it's like they just flip the channel like you flip a house, and it's like, all right, it's not this thing anymore, where it's young people skateboarding and and weird comedy videos. Like, now it's a thing where we show college basketball and and UFC fighting, so that fell (laughs) through. And then we had, like, an offer from... We actually had an offer from TBS, but we, we walked away from it because that was, like, at a point of our careers where it was like probably I don't want to say making more money doing what we were already doing but what we were already doing was more secure and it got kind of got a little bit um, tricky whereas some of the people couldn't leave their jobs to work on the show and stuff like that so like that that whole thing fell through and that was a couple years ago but uh, yeah we made some money doing it. Do you guys ever consider doing your just independently producing your own like midnight show elsewhere and then like renting a venue and then just selling tickets for like 20 bucks and selling out? I that was actually something we talked about for like the last show because we were like cuz you would make thousands. Yeah, we were like too. we could have did this at like the satellite or something and like could have got more people in and like charged money and and took the thing. Oh, I I forgot, like, a big one. This is, like, what made me quit my day job uh, the first time was uh, Drew Carey took us on tour. What? Yeah. Um, How? He just found you guys at the theater? Well, he was uh, Heather Campbell, who's awesome, like, one of the most brilliant comedians, probably the most brilliant comedian I've ever worked with. Like, she is one of the best improvisers. Have you ever seen her do improv? I haven't. She's, like, one of the best improvisers in the world, probably. And uh, she got on this thing that was kind of like, whose line is it anyway? Um, but it was called Drew Carey's Improvaganza. And it had a lot of the same people. Show. It had, like, Ryan Stiles and I think Wayne Brady was on it and, and Colin Mockery and, like, all the, the main people. But they would tape it in, like, Vegas. Uh at like the MGM Grand or whatever and they would they would do the tapings there and it, it aired on like Game Show Network and it actually still has a pretty big following online even though they don't make new episodes of it because Who's Line came back on the CW but uh, she got cast she was like the new person who was like cast from like the, the different generation from the old ABC show so she got cast to, to be in the show and and through that, Drew found out about the Midnight Show, like he guest hosted our show, and then just had the idea, I was like, ah, th- I'm thinking of doing stand-up again, and uh, while I'm getting my act ready, like, do you all want to come out with me and, and do like 30 or 45 minutes worth of sketches, and I'll do like 30 or 45 minutes worth of stand-up? And uh, he gets, he's like, we'll split everything 50-50, like, I'll get half, and then you all get half, and like, that dude's so he's 
one of the most nicest, generous people because like he didn't need to do that at all. That's so nice. I feel like um, most people would be like 90-10, Here you go. It's yeah, crazy. And because well he and he gets paid a lot, like the the fifty percent that went to us, like split between like ten people or whatever, was like, wow, I can quit my fucking job after doing this. Like, wow. uh, that's insane. And and just focus on teaching the and writing and like carries. all that stuff. Um, so yeah, we we made some money doing it, just not through like the regular monthly show. That's awesome. And that's how that's how I think a lot of things are. Is if like if if you stick with them and they're and they're good enough, somebody somewhere will pay you to make more. Yeah. So do you think um, was any of the reasoning that you guys chose to keep the five dollar UCB show that like maintaining like the integrity of the original show or like like just charge five dollars like because that's how it, it's always been like be inclusive and stuff or yeah i mean and and part of the the advantage of performing at a ucb or, or whatever is like there's always just going to be people in the audience who are just there to go there that night mm-hmm. um it's more like, so than there to see the midnight show like it's like marketing from UCB yeah it's like you'll have venue. Well, I'm just gonna go see a show at UCB or or whatever it is like that night, and oh, let's look and see what's on the schedule. And a lot of times we had like a a celebrity guest host, and, and like sometimes they'd be really big, like Drew Carey, and sometimes they'd be people who are known from from comedy things, but also just kind of just like our friends yeah. or or whatever. Um, and that was always like a a pretty big draw to our show too. Is like a lot of times people would come to see them. And then find out what we did, and then come back. That's so cool. So I mean, I, I know like building a huge, successful, popular show. Like a lot of my friends all have that as their aspirations. Um, it's really cool that you did it. What like do you think? What factors went into that uh, becoming as successful as it was? Um, when we, when we first started, like. Something that we did a lot was we would watch, like, everything. We'd go to, like, other shows, and we'd study comedy history. That, that's one of the reasons why my class, like, will show sketches from now, but also sketches from 20 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago because trends change and, and things get updated, but some things are just sort of timeless and, and still work now as well as they would have worked 50 years ago or 40 years ago or, or whatever. Um, so we'd watch a lot of stuff and, and watch stuff that we liked growing up as kids, but also like try to discover things from like England or wherever um, and, and, and just watch things and, and see where like, okay, this is really good or this is really bad. And if this is good, what's good about this? And if this is bad, like, what's bad about this so we can avoid it ourselves? And not to, like, that doesn't mean, like, steal jokes or anything like that. But, like, if there's a a certain thing that's kind of being underserved in in sketch comedy, whether it was, like, being really visual or being sort of really loud or, I don't want to say aggressive, but... um, dynamic or whatever because sometimes when you go see a sketch show it's just a bunch of people standing around talking and it's like well this is fucking boring yeah like let's give people a show and that's why i always try to tell the 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 folks at the pack who who do the sketch teams there it's like if 
if people have come out, have made the decision to leave their house and come see you perform, and you're in Los Angeles where you can do anything, you can do anything you want, like any night, most people. Like, you can go to a basketball game, you can go to a concert, like, there's something happening every night. Um, you gotta give them a show. So I think that's something we were always good at, was just like, just trying to give people their money's worth. Like, even if it's only like five bucks, like, just giving them a show where it's like, holy shit, that was fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. And I think that was part of the appeal to it. Were you guys, and you did this every month? Like, every month? Did you guys uh, I mean, sometimes, like, if there was, like, a thing where it was, like, it was always the first Saturday of the month, so if, like, the first Saturday of the month was, like, the 4th of July or something like that, yeah. we wouldn't do the show. Or if it was, like, uh, fell on New Year's Day or, or, or whatever. And, like, we took more months off towards the end as they fell around holidays. Like, if it fell around, like, um, like November and December. No, we'd do November and December. It was actually kind of mostly Fourth of July <laughs> and uh, Labor Day and yeah. New Year's Day were always like the tough ones. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, we did like well over we did well over a hundred shows on at UCB, and we did fifty uh, some shows on that Drew Carey tour where we went from. Like, we did stuff at a lot of the improvs on the West Coast. Like, we did ones that were close, like Brea and Irvine and Ontario. But we'd also go up to, like, Comedy Works in Denver and the club in um, Salt Lake City. And we went out to Phoenix and up to San Francisco. And we did, like, a, we did like a Native American casino in... Um, Seattle, which was like amazing. I wish we would have taped it because really? it was like we got to do what we did in front of like over a thousand people. Oh, well, and like Snoqualmie or whatever, like one of those. Yeah, it was Snoqualmie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're from up there, right? I was there last year. Oh, okay. All last year, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Snoqualmie. And uh, it was like that was fucking rad because like they had this huge showroom and like this giant stage and like it felt like a rock show or something. And we had lanyards. <laughs> yeah, like I still have my lanyard. I'm like, oh, that's cool. We had lanyards. Like my parents flew well, out the, to see the it. Backstage things or wait, what do you mean? I don't know why we had lanyards. Just I think lanyards. it was like, like it just the backstage area was just so huge. Like that that felt like doing like a festival or a rock concert. A or thousand something. people. Yeah, that's insane. Is that the biggest venue you performed in? Um. Unless you count, like, a high school assembly or something like that. Like, back when you are in high school, like, a pep rally. Like, that was probably the most people I ever performed in front of. Wow. It was, like, 1,500 people you or something. You performed in pep rallies? Oh, yeah. Like, we'd do, like... School? Yeah, we'd do, like, skits and stuff, so like, in front of school. So you started, like, when you were 16? Yeah. I mean, we did, uh... For senior class day or whatever, yeah. we did, like, this Jerry Springer Oh, you did, like, parody. the sketch show at your... Yeah, it was like we. It was like, oh, we'll do like a Jerry Springer skit where like the combatants, uh, the the fake people coming on the show, or like the teachers or whatever. And it was like people doing impressions of the teachers. That's so funny. I played Jerry Springer, and uh, it was terrible. But um, when we did it, we thought it was great. Same. I did that because I did the senior show too. Yeah. In my high school, and we did something making fun of the teachers, and they made us change their name. 
too. Oh, really? Yeah. We had to call him, like, uh, Guilford or something. Um, okay. Package. Okay, wait one sec. <laughs> Amazon. That was impressive. I've never seen, like, a team of UPS people. I've never seen multiple people delivering <laughs> at the same time. That, that was a little partnership. It was so nice. Cool. We have Do you think they were like husband and wife? Maybe. <laughs> Just like a little, hey, I gotta work today. Well, I'll miss you. I'll put on the hat. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Are you gonna make a sketch about this? No. Right. <laughs> Not that interesting. <laughs> Slightly amusing, but... That's it. Um, okay, what were we saying? Oh, yeah. We had to, ch- I had to change the name of my teacher to, like, something. Because they're like, no, I don't use his name. His name was Mr. Rose. And we, call- oh, Gil- we called him Gilroy. Okay. That was it. Yeah. And I just totally did the same, the Key and Peele character, the Coach Hines character. I okay. Even, I don't even think it was him. Yeah. It was, it was fun. Yeah. But, yeah, those are cool. Um Oh, we got to we got to be on Keen Peel too with with our what? group. We were in the um, in high school. No, not in high school. Wait, they weren't a thing. No, like <laughs> uh, the midnight show. We got to be on Key and Peel. Like we were in the uh, Gremlins two sketch that oh. uh, Jordan Jordan actually he hosted the midnight show because he's longtime friends with Heather Campbell from back at at Boom Chicago in Amsterdam. Um, what? Amsterdam, what? Like, oh, the, like the European one? Yeah, Boom <laughs> Chicago is this like comedy company in Amsterdam. They hire like a lot of Americans, um, and like Jordan Peele, Heather Campbell, Seth Meyers, Josh Meyers, uh, Jason Sudeikis, Matt Jones, Colton Dunn. Like a lot of people like that have come. Like, they go over there for, like, a year or two years, and they just do sketch and improv, like, almost every night of the week for, like, these tourist audiences in Whoa, Amsterdam. that's a thing you can do. Yeah. That do it, man. That sounds so cool. Yeah. Like, I'm not good enough, but you could probably do it. What? Uh, How would I be able to do it? <laughs> uh, Whoa, that's so cool. Oh and God. Heather knew Jordan from that, and Jordan... This was before Key and Peele, but he was, like, one of the guest hosts of, like, an early midnight show, and he wrote this Gremlins 2 sketch uh, that we were in, and then, like, the final season of their show, he was like, I really want to do this sketch, and then they brought they brought us back to play, like, our original parts in, in the sketch, which is kind of neat. Oh, to that's awesome. do something, like, whatever it was, like five or six years later after you've already done his live sketch to get to do it with them on their TV show. Wait, sorry, neat. I spaced out. They, you guys came up with this? No, no, Jordan came up with okay. it. Okay, yeah. but you did it live he's, first. Yeah, we did it live first. He's a, he's a brilliant writer. <laughs> Turns out. Uh, he's always like super funny. I think it's like one of the most amazing things how he's transitioned into... Like his dark, like... Yeah, like doing thrillers and stuff. He's like... He's like Alfred Hitchcock now with like Get Out and Us and he's doing the new Twilight Zone. Like he's really? producing the new Twilight Zone for CBS. He's just like a genius man. Yeah, he's he, and he's a good he's example so that funny, he's though. so good. Even his ske- I always thought he was the funniest person just like in his sketches. Yeah. Him and him and Keegan are, are 
they're both like that whole day we were just like cracking up the whole time to the point where I was like I hope I'm not ruining the shots <laughs> or like anything like that because uh, that's so cool they're just so funny but like yeah Jordan uh, is someone I was using an example to my students is like just get good as many things as you can because sometimes people focus too strongly on oh I just want to be the best stand up or I just want to be the best podcaster I want to be the best sketch person or the best sitcom writer or movie writer or whatever and and not everybody is good enough to 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 make all this stuff work but you look at someone like Jordan and it's like he can he can act, he can write, he can do stand-up, he can do comedy, he can do drama, he can do impressions, he can do improv, he can do all of it. That's so cool. Um, and Donald Glover, kind of the same way. Like, Donald Glover's someone who can, I mean, he can do stand-up, he can act, he can do improv, he can do sketch, he can... Uh, Rap. Sing and dance, yeah, and rap, Jamie and Fox. like, like he can do everything. And Jamie Fox also. Yeah, 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 and and it's one of those things where it kind of goes back to the old like, are you a triple threat or like whatever the 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 thing is. But I've always been like, I'm not good enough to do like everything, but I, I think it's valuable for everyone to who's trying to do comedy to just try all the different things because you never know whether you're great at all of them or if you're good at something that you didn't think you were like like just going back to stand up it was like I was okay at stand up I just didn't like doing it um but also like I wasn't like great at it and I never saw myself getting great at it I was always like it I was good enough to get repped and I was good enough to get like showcases for like uh JFL. JFL, but to like be on Kimmel or, or like whatever. Um, but I was never good enough to like, and because I was so young, I was like kind of green, never good enough to like sort of get to that next level. But when I was writing, I was like, oh crap, like I can just write this stuff and give it to funnier people and like it'll make me look better. <laughs> like that was always one of my things is like I just hated being the ones to being the one to like actually do it and I still like dip my toes in hosting and acting or whatever it's like the first the first time we tried to record this like I couldn't do it because I got an audition and like I don't really put myself out there for auditions but it was a tv show that that a friend had and then I got the thing and I don't think it was because of my friend it was just from like the casting director but I was like I should do this self It's your friend's show. Yeah. Not like not like a super close friend, but like someone I've worked with like a bunch and kind of friends with. Do so you the part? I don't know. Oh, it was like it's supposed to tape like next week. Maybe I would have heard by now. Uh, I'm not friends anymore. Yeah. Well I mean that's also the other thing is like uh it, it's always it's always just tough because like people want to like help each other out but like sometimes it's like for different projects it's like you're just not right for it and then sometimes you are so knowing people just throughout the years is good but it's never uh, never a guarantee so that's why I'm always like 
always tell people about sort of organic networking. Mm-hmm. Like, because everyone wants to network. And a lot of networking is just gross. And I'm not... I've never been good at, like, traditional networking where it's like, oh, let's go to fucking place and just hang out and like meet people or, or whatever whether it's people a, do like i some, guess they some do. people yeah are like let me go to this restaurant yeah or not even not just like, <laughs> like restaurant but like like going bar. to like uh <laughs> oh, i'm just gonna go? hang out at the i'm gonna hang out at the ucb inner sanctum or i'm, just I'm gonna this so i can get the spots where i know i'm gonna or i'm gonna go to this show and just like i'm new in town i'm gonna try to meet people or like whatever like i've never been good at that i've always been good at like the sort of organic networking just because like I'm a shy weirdo where it's like just make stuff and do stuff and then sooner or later people will be like hey that's pretty good and they're like oh your, your thing's good too and then you wind up making contacts and stuff that way yeah um, that's interesting I want to hear about like more about your story like starting out and like when you got here and like how you transitioned from like doing stand up to really doing like writing full-time like was there a point where you're like i don't want to do this anymore because i understand that you were kind of like the up-and-coming guy well i wasn't the up-and-coming i was like kind of an up-and-coming it was like uh i've always i've always been kind of shy and introverted and i would do things like stand up as kind of like just a means to to create and do stuff because like the easiest thing you can do in comedy is just like write some stuff down and show up at any open mic and just like start doing it so like that's one of the easiest ways to to get in and and for a lot of people and i'm not disparaging anyone but a lot of people like they they try to make stand up their life or or whatever and like you kind of to get amazing at it you kind of should um where you're just doing shows every night and if you're not at a show that if you're not doing a show that night you're at a show to keep your face out there to keep the bookers like remembering like oh this person's around and they're nice and they're funny and and whatever um but i was like kind of shy and introverted and i did a lot of like impressions and one-liners impressions are so funny uh class but you didn't want to do more yeah i don't know I'm, I'm, I haven't practiced them in a long time. Uh, but part of the reason why I was doing it was, like, because it was, like, an easy way to get up. And I didn't really, like, when I moved out here, there wasn't, like, a UCB where, like, you could just kind of get involved um, or a pack where you can just kind of, like, take a couple classes and get involved and find yourself doing bit shows and, and trying out for house teams and stuff like that. There was Groundlings, which was seemed like a long tedious have you ever taken a groundlings class i haven't yeah i want to yeah i mean a lot a lot of the midnight show was in groundlings sunday company i wasn't just because like i never got to the i never got to like the the fun part of the groundlings like i was in like level one where it was like you'll in level ones at like big schools like that you'll get there were people in there who were like models and like people who were like uh I just my people at work told me I need to do this to get out more or like whatever Um, you you get more of the the less typical people um, 
that 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 you see in the upper levels and i was like all oh, these people aren't like serious about comedy like i'm just gonna start doing it i don't need to be in a school for like three years or whatever um because there is kind of long track and if if i probably doing big characters like that and, and doing improv is like never my strength just because like i tend to as a writer do things that are not conducive to doing good improv where it's like I'll just second guess things immediately like in my head like getting being in my head was always like a tough thing for me doing improv and a tough thing for me doing anything to be honest because like I'm very sort of analytical and stuff like that so um I was just doing stand-up because like I'd at the time when I moved out here, like someone like a Jimmy Fallon was on Saturday Night Live, and it was like, oh, he just moved out to LA and started doing stand up and got on SNL or whatever. Um, and I always kind of wanted to like try to get to that SNL sort of thing just because that's what you grow up liking. And I've always loved sketch comedy, and the, the two ways to do sketch comedy seemed to me would have been to either get on an SNL or start a sketch group with like your friends or something and get a TV show or it at the very least get like a live local show because I mean back then like YouTube wasn't even a thing yeah. yet like we we made videos it was but, like early 2000s yeah like we made videos but like when you made videos back then you had to like make your own website and upload yeah. them and if more than like a hundred people watched it, like it would crash. like crash and, and stuff like that. So I, I would do stand up and do like just stupid one liners and, and impressions and, and stuff like that. And because I was young and, and sort of experienced, that helped me get like a little bit ahead. But at the same time, like I didn't love it and I had nothing to say about the world. That was like the other, that's the other tough thing about starting when you're young is unless you unless you have like a unique life experience or point of view there's really nothing to talk about really because it was just like oh i went to high school and it was fine and i went to college and it was fine and yeah. now i'm young and here you just do like observational things like yeah uh whereas like people who have like lived a little bit like they have more things to say whether they're young or old or, or whatever so i was just doing like just like stupid jokes and impressions and what made me sort of get out of it was like i was actually i made a tape for snl and i was like flown out there how did that happen um i had gotten wrapped by brillstein probably about a year after i moved here and I'm still with them to this day. I'm just not with the same reps there. Uh -huh. um, and uh, they had, because like Lorne Michaels was rep by them. And a lot of the uh, past and present cast members, not all of them, but like a lot of the past and present cast members, like the Belushi was like a client. Uh Adam Sandler, Chris Farley, David Spade, Norm Macdonald, that whole crew, and then, like... They're all in the same agency? Yeah, well, yeah, management company, and uh, more new people, like... Uh, not new, because he hasn't been on the show for years, but, like, Jason Sudeikis and Seth Meyers and people uh -huh. like that were rep by them, too. Uh, so, I had a good 
sort of connection to the show through that and I made a tape and uh, I made a tape my first year I was with them didn't hear anything and then I made a tape my second year with them didn't hear anything then my third year I was still young I was like 24 um, and uh, I made a tape and like I thought it was really good and it was like one of those things where at SNL, and like I don't know if this is a real thing, but it always feels like they don't immediately replace big people who leave like that next year. They replace, they leave a little bit of space. Like, like usually, if, if like you're a season. Be typecast as the yeah, so like if if Lonely that. Island leaves, they don't hire like another internet sketch group. Yeah, like they'll wait a year and then bring in Good Neighbor or or whatever. Yeah. Um, and this is like Jimmy Jimmy Fallon had left and there was like a season worth of breathing room um and then they brought in a bunch of goofy young dudes that year that was like the year really? that uh that was the year that Andy Samberg got hired and that was the year that Bill Hader got hired um and I was I was a part of those auditions where it was like I think they did a couple rounds of like two rounds of like 12 people or like whatever um and it was the weirdest thing because like my tape I thought like I knew that was like a year that was a year that if I was going to have a shot that was going to be like my best shot um and I sent the tape in and I got a like a email or something from my manager's assistant being like yeah it's not happening this year I'm like okay and it was like kind of depressing so I like uh just went and did a show that night or, or whatever and slept in the next day and I woke up at like 11 and I'd missed like 12 calls from Brillstein and I'm like that's weird it's like I, I checked my voicemail and like the first one was like very positive where uh, it was the manager's assistant it was like Eric it's Matt give me a call uh, and like they kept getting the messages kept getting shorter and, and kind of more annoyed I was like, oh no, what's going on? So I, I called in and they they patched in someone from SNL and they was like, do you want to come out and audition? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Like I thought they meant like next week or something, and it was like, no, tomorrow. Wow. Um. So they like, I'm like, okay, cool, tomorrow. And like I'm like freaking out. I'm like, how the f am I gonna get to New York and like all this stuff? And they're like, oh, we'll send you a car. And you got to get on, like, they sent me a car within, like, 30 minutes. What? Within 30 minutes? Yeah, they sent me a car, and then my flight was in, like, probably, like, two hours or two and a half. I don't think this is anybody's typical experience, like, that last minute thing. I think some, um, probably the only reason I went was probably because my manager had a big connection to the show is like hey can you do me a solid and like just get him in front of Lauren or like whatever so I threw like a couple shirts and like a pair of fake glasses and like what cause I didn't even uh, that was the other thing was like they told me don't do anything on the tape cause we've seen the tape so come up with all new stuff and I'm like overnight yeah I'm like oh shit like everything on my tape was my best stuff so, I think they kind of do that a little bit to like everybody because I know that I know that Andy Samberg came up with the uh, I th- I think he came up with the out of breath jogger from 1982 or whatever it was I think he came up with it on the plane ride there 
Really? Yeah. Because, um, like, we were all sort of around talking, like, after the audition. But, um, yeah, I just threw, like, an extra... Sh- it was, like, the... I just took a book bag, like, not even a suitcase, because I was only going to be there, like, a day. Um, and also, like, because the East Coast, you lose three hours, like, my plane took off at, like, two, and then uh, like I feel like I got in at, like, 11 or something like yeah. that. It was real late, and, like, the audition, I want to say, was probably at noon or one or something like that, and I was scared to sleep. Because I had to come up with all new stuff, and but also like scared to sleep because I'm like I need to practice this stuff oh and be God. perfect. Because they put you up in this like nice hotel and and all that stuff, and um, so I just did it. And uh, I'm stressed. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty stressful. Like someone gave me good advice of like bring an extra shirt. Don't wear. Don't sit around in the shirt that you're going to be performing in because your your armpits are gonna like sweat all through it. So like, put on a different shirt like right before you go out. Oh really? Because you like you do it on the stage or whatever. Just How do like, you deal with that pressure? I can't. Uh, I, think I told you this. The the can't. easiest way to probably describe it would be. Th- there was sort of two sides to it when you're when you're 24, and writing in a limousine for the first time that wasn't like prom and I didn't think I rode in a limousine at prom but it was like <laughs> and it was it wasn't like a limousine it was like a it was like a black like a town car like yeah like like, like, like Escalade that sort of thing when you when you're sitting in one of those riding LAX you're just like well I guess it's gonna happen like everything you dreamed of and worked for like it's it's gonna happen but also the other side of it was is like it was so scary that it it, it it was so scary that like I didn't even know how scary it was, like just like the adrenaline sort of stuff. Like I've even I I saw Andy Samberg talking in an interview about how he puked before his, and I was like, oh, because like you'll see someone like him around, and he just seems like oh hey like yeah I nothing bothers me, man. Uh, and he was always like a really nice guy, but uh, yeah, like it was like terrifying, but it was also like so terrifying that like you had no choice. It, it wasn't like it was a different thing than being nervous before a show because like sometimes you can, like when I'd be doing a, a stand up show or a sketch show or something like that, where I'd be like super nervous, like you got to go out and do it, but there isn't like the same amount of pressure so like with the with something like that was like it, it just seems surreal and especially because of like the time frame it's like i didn't have like a week's notice like i had 12 out uh, like 24 hours notice or whatever That's so crazy. it was just so crazy that that I didn't even know really how scary it's it was even though like, i knew it was scary that is truly the funnier die that is that yeah. You have to be funny or you, yeah. Yeah. Or and you don't have your dream. Yeah. And I was like, uh, it, it was, it was so weird because like when you do it, you're, you're standing sort of where the host stands on the stage when they do the monologue and you're doing it directly in the camera. Like if you've seen the Will Ferrell or, or Jimmy Fallon ones that are like kind of floating around online, it's like kind of that setup. 
but then Lauren everybody else is like off to the side because like they don't want you playing to them uh, which I get now from like you're just having, playing to a camera yeah you're just playing there's to no a camera yeah there's no audience you're in you're in the studio where they shoot the show and it's a lot smaller than it seems on TV um, which is actually like kind of cool like it was, it was neat and I've been there since then to visit friends who have like worked on the show and stuff but yeah, it was like, like you go over, like they put you in hair and makeup and you can hear people going before you. Like i pretty sure I heard like Yorma uh, from Lonely Island doing his thing. And I know I heard uh, Kristen Wiig doing her target because I remember hearing the candles, like that yeah. thing. Um, and I was sitting in, in hair and makeup and like they always, they always tell you like, they're not going to laugh. They're not going to laugh. Like whatever. And like, they were like killing. So like, I'm like, Wait, oh, they were getting laughs. Yeah, like they're getting like huge laughs. No. And and I think like I think they don't laugh at first to like see how you handle it because that's always like one of those weird things of like because you always want to start off strong, and there's always that possibility on live television where it's like you're doing something that everyone thinks is amazing and no one laughs. Does it show on your face? Like that sort of thing, so I let off with like my first stupid thing, and it got like no laugh, and I was so in my head, like I barely, I barely remember. Like I asked for like a microphone, like a wireless mic, and I don't, I never, I didn't even use it. Um, I always think like, oh, did I say I was gonna do this one celebrity impression and then accidentally do another? Like, but I was so in my head that like. It's really hard to remember. And then, yeah, it was isn't, scary. Isn't it hard to, as someone who's analytical and in your head to do that kind of thing? Like, I can't, I get like that too, and I just, like, freak out. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it was just one of those things where you just have no choice. Yeah. I told you I had to do that. Like, um, sometimes when you're just doing a stand up show or, or, or whatever, like, it, if it's like a low stakes thing, if you're not feeling that night, it's always okay to just go up and not be feeling it that night. Like you'll survive. And maybe there's like a booker of another show who sees you and like, Oh, they're not that good or like whatever, but it's like kind of low stakes. But when you're in that situation, you just have no fucking choice really than to like be big. Um, what do you do? Like, do you have issues? Like, um, if, when you're under pressure like that, when you do your impressions, can you still do them? Um, yeah, I could do them. Uh, and were, the, were the hard like thing is always improvised. Like, would you improvise as a character or have a you know exactly what you're I would have? I'd have like a bit sort of written out. Um, for like the impression. Yeah, I, I think it's like like a lot of times when people are really nervous, they go too fast. Like, you just have to remember to, like, sort of slow down and breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, or they they are not big enough, meaning dynamic enough. Like, their their performances tend to get flat. And I've never seen a tape of my performance, but I assume I probably went too fast and uh, wasn't big enough. Um, but I did get them to laugh, which was, was cool. I don't know if it's because they felt sorry for me or, or whatever, but... I, I did get some laughs, so that was that was fun. And then after that, like just going back in the stand up, I was like, well, fuck, like I'm not gonna get on this show 
uh, and, or, like, or whatever. You can never so get on like, it after that. No, you can get on after. Like a lot of, not a lot of people, but like some people have like they gone in like three times. Really for the interview? Yeah, or the audition. I mean, yeah, like uh, I think Taron Killam went in like I heard he went in like three times, and Jimmy Fallon did it multiple times, and and Bill Hader was kind of on Lauren's radar for years like a couple years before he actually got it um like doing like showcases and stuff like that before he did the screen test that got it and uh yeah so it was never that thing but like after that I was like like I kind of and this is part of just being young I kind of just got I, a little bit depressed and felt like directionless cuz I was like what well, you work towards yeah it's like I don't know cuz I'm not like a typical I don't look at myself, and maybe this is like a confidence thing, but I always thought, my, like, I wasn't like a typical, oh, yeah, you can just throw Eric on a sitcom or whatever. That was always like a hard thing for me. <laughs> I was like auditioning for a lot of sitcoms and stuff. It was like, well, I'm not really the wacky neighbor. I've always, like, personally seen myself as like, like, my dream role would be like playing, like, the, the judge from Caddyshack. And, like, I need to wait, like, 40 years to get those roles. Because I've always been good at playing, like, bossy, authoritative, like, shitheads. But, like, when you're young, like, you don't get those roles. And, like, yeah, like, and now I'm in my late 30s and, but I still have to wait. Yeah, I still don't look (laughs) like, I don't look like I could run a fucking business or, like, I don't look like a judge or anything like that, so. You can look like you run a business. Like a Ty Lopez kind of business, maybe. Yeah, maybe I'll do like a Ty Lopez. You kind of look like Ty Lopez, actually. Oh, man. his Have you ever got caught in the, like, the rabbit hole of those like fucking videos? Like We're just watching a YouTube video, and it's like... I'm not even interested in like that sort of shit. But I'm like, who is this guy, and why is he so confident? He's just like doing a selfie. He's like, hey, dude, just uh, checking out my Lamborghini. Uh, I read 10,000 books a day. Uh, it's all about reading books, 10,000 books a day. I purchased 100,000 Bitcoin 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's just crazy. He's like, four years ago, I was living on a couch at a farm. <laughs> like, stuff like that. It's like, now I got the most expensive place in Hollywood. And it's just like, what? <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. Like, we've watched a lot, like, me and my friends sometimes of, like, just hanging out, like, watching, like, Apple TV or something. <laughs> just, like, just watch Ty Lopez videos. Like, you have to be... It takes a special skill to be that full of shit and not even realize how full of shit you are. It's amazing. Everyone's an influencer. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. He's like, you need to... Like, his big thing is mentorship. He's like, you need to find a mentor and, like, stuff that, like that. And it's like... And your mentor needs to have a mentor. Who needs to have a mentor? It's yeah. like a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Mentors. Yeah. There's no... What do they mentor you in? <laughs> they just meant... Why do you need this mentor? Yeah. And it's also like, thanks for explaining, like, how everyone gets jobs. It's like, there's always, like, someone has to hire you and show you how to do things. Yeah, you're just describing education. Yeah. Uh, Weird. You should, like, we should just fuck comedy and, like, get into that shit. Yeah, I have. There's always, like, people. (laughs) There's always, 
like people pop like Tony Robbins, Ty Lopez, like yeah. It's so you can just have a job telling yeah. other people how to have jobs. Yeah, and just like keep and literally do nothing. Yeah, because there's always there's always people wanting more. They're like ah, oh. like nobody's. <laughs> I was watching. Have you ever seen the Robinoffs? No. There is this good scene in, uh, I just started watching it, like, on Amazon Prime. There's this good scene where it's, like, this test prep guy, and and the kid, like, is, like, trying to get, he's like, I want to go to Harvard or whatever, and he's like, no, you're not going to Harvard. Like, we're going to find you some other school. But then he's like, you want to know the secret? Nobody's happy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's pretty much, like, I, like, some people are, like, depressed and stuff, but, like, Nobody's like everything's great. Yeah. Like no matter how good things are going or, or how bad if things life are so going. Good, why are you making those videos? Yeah. So like that's why people like Ty Lopez and stuff like they they really prey on like basic human like what if I told you you could drive any car you wanted, live in the house of your dreams and blah blah blah. And it's like well, yeah, like everybody wants that. Like even someone like a LeBron, or like someone like it's like they want more. Yeah. Like he doesn't have like as many championships as he wants or whatever. But his life's fucking great. Yeah, I think those characters. I like to do characters of self help. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, my Tony Robbins thing, and then I have a little Chai Lopez thing on Instagram. Are you doing? Do you do a lot of internet stuff on your own besides the AOK? Not anymore. Um, the, most of the stuff that I have that's on the internet now is through like just jobs I've been paid for. Um, yeah, that's cool. Uh, like I always encourage like I always encourage my students to like I don't think there's enough people making stuff, and I know that's crazy to say when like on YouTube there's more content being uploaded than there ever has before but a lot of that is like just shitty like vlog shit and uh people uploading like old basketball games and like movies from India or like whatever like like it's not all people just making their own stuff and I think a lot of people just get like discouraged where it's like we'll make a couple videos and and nobody really watches them uh maybe not at first or, or whatever and then they just give up and it's like you want to you want to get views and you want to go viral but at the same time you you want to put things on screens that's that's the most important thing because if you can put things on screens and they're good then people are going to hire you to make things that go on screens like yeah. we live in a really interesting time where um the the TV and streaming business is, is is always evolving and like right now I'm on hiatus for me okay because uh, like the Fox Disney merger and stuff like that and it may come back and it may not um, but even then like just because of, like all the mergers and, and stuff like that like we live in a time where like super deluxe is like gone defunct and they were great and and funnier die has scaled back a little bit and and, and that kind of stuff it's interesting but but i think that that people should be making stuff like um because that's there's always going to be people to pay you to make stuff yeah we're just in a weird time where it's like everybody's scrambling and figuring out like how to do it like netflix can't just 
Netflix buys a lot of stuff, but they can't be responsible for buying every single thing that anyone makes. And uh, TV TV viewership is is dwindling constantly. Like I was looking at uh, a thing the other day where like most of the cable networks viewership is down eight to twenty some percent depending on the network wow. from last year. Just like, no one has cable. Zero people. Yeah, like so many people anyone. don't have cable. Like I have PlayStation View. Email. Yeah. So like that's technically cable, view. but like what is this? PlayStation View. Oh. Yeah, like on PS4 where it's like one of the things where you can watch cable. Yeah, it's like a well, sling like TV, like but like yeah, streaming. you stream it. And like you can cancel it anytime if you're just that's like I don't want to fucking watch cable Everyone, this month. Cable's now like if you have streaming, you can also watch cable. Yeah. So it's now like almost small, or it's becoming small. Yeah, it's it's becoming smaller. Most people like almost. So many people I know don't have cable. And if you'd have told me when I moved out here that in 2019, it's, tr- it's always tricky. It, yeah, right when it, it's hard. Yeah, almost I said 2018. Was, I was still dashing the 18s. Uh, things. If you'd have told me in 2019 when I first moved out here that, that I wouldn't have like cable, I'd be like, oh no, am I like homeless or something? Am I like living in my car? Not to denigrate people who are living their cars but like i cable was always just something that i came up with and like you you had to have it and now nobody does and we also live in a weird time where we can literally go like after this podcast both of us can go separately and watch almost exactly what we want like i remember when I had cable and being younger, just flipping around and just be like, ah, oh, what's on TV? But it's like, if I want to go watch a college basketball game from 1976, I can go do it. If I want to watch a pro wrestling event from 1989, I can go do it. That's so interesting. I didn't really think about how, like, over my childhood to now, you had to wait, and now you don't wait. Yeah. Anymore. And also, you want. also the wake cable programs shit now is so in my opinion fucking stupid because like when I was when I was growing up there was like variety like they didn't show the same show 12 hours in a row they do that yeah they do that a lot on cable now like where it's like you'll because because they think oh people are leaving to binge watch stuff on Netflix so we're just gonna throw 12 episodes of Guy Fieri or like whatever his fucking name is we'll throw 12 episodes in a row and yeah there are people who just sit there and watch that for 12 hours in a row but it's also like you gotta watch it 12 hours in a row with commercials whereas like you could watch it 12 hours in a row without commercials on like Netflix or iTunes or or whatever and they don't understand it like it used to be back in the day cable marathons were like a special thing where it's like, oh, it's Thanksgiving. They're going to show, like, Mystery Science Theater 3000 all day long. Uh, but now that's, like, every day. Um, and I think that's one of the, like, the lack of variety and options and stuff like that, I think, is why people are ditching cable. But going back to the, the original thing, it's like I, I, I tell people to make stuff, put stuff on screens because you never know who's going to find it and and hire you to do something. And and at the very least, the more stuff you make, the more 
portfolio. Yeah, the 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 wider range of of the portfolio that you have for your reel or or whatever. And plus, like it puts you, it puts you in charge of of your own thing. It's like if if no one wants to cast you as a cop, but you really want to play a cop, get out there and make something where you play a cop. And then sh- either you're good at it or not. So maybe I should uh, maybe I should be making stuff right now and 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 playing an old judge or, or whatever. Why not uh, CGI that face? Yeah. Makeup. Um, or just be a young judge. Yeah, cool judge. Uh, I I watch a TV show on Facebook. Watch. Yeah, you can just watch a show on Facebook. That's I think that's gonna be an up and coming thing for sure. Somebody had like a really. How many people should do? I don't know if you can though, because they're like, you no, know, you need to have like ten thousand followers. I'm gonna get ten thousand followers if I can't. Yeah. Put it on a feed that people watch. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I have my Chop Bros channel that I told you about. Yeah. And we had a lot, and our views just went down and down and down. And just kept getting more demotivated, and I don't know what to do because it takes so much time to film and edit and buy props and stuff, and then yeah. no one watches it, and it's such a bummer. You, you had like a lot of Facebook that. followers. We had, um, or was it YouTube? We had like forty five hundred subscribers on YouTube. Now we have thirty seven hundred. Um, we had it popped off. The second video got three hundred thousand views, and then they just slowly went downhill. Yeah, and it was such a bummer. So I like I don't know. I think I'm just gonna start a new channel. Yeah, I mean like YouTube has, YouTube's changed a lot. Like I remember. When, cause I've written for like Fox ADHD and we did stuff for TV and the internet and it's like subscribers just kind of like snowball where that one, that channel has been sitting dormant for fucking, which one? Fox ADHD has been sitting dormant since, uh, the end of 2015. Well, it's done, right? Yeah. 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 I think, I think they might be bringing that back, but that might be, a, I don't know. I, I know that well, like when it lay dormant Fox, no content yeah I mean it, it's just laid dormant like the Fox decided to end it or they couldn't come to agreement with the executive producers or whatever happened but it's just laying dormant but like all the stuff that we made is still there and it's still gaining like fucking 10,000 subscribers a day like what? like shit like that 50,000 some days like sometimes a video a yeah we'll just 50,000 subscribers sometimes so like it has millions Oh yeah, it's got like I think it's at like two million. Um, wow. But yeah, it's like like just sitting there doing nothing. Like sometimes three thousand, five thousand, seven thousand, ten thousand. Then like a, a video from three years ago will pop again, and then it had like there will be a day where there's like fifty thousand or like whatever. Um, and then we start a okay with a lot of the same creative people from Fox ADHD. Uh, and it was just a different landscape with with the YouTube algorithm, and it was so hard at first. Like, and we were making really good animated stuff uh, for the budget that was given, um, and making basically the exact same style of content that that ADHD was. And like, I think the first it was it was like mid twenty sixteen through. Now we're like, I'm not writing new stuff for them at the moment, but they're still uploading things that I've writ- written. Uh, for the first like year or something, it was like 
3,000 subscribers. Then it went to like 10,000. Oh, oh, no, total. just like total. Uh, and then like a couple of videos popped and like... How often did you guys it, post? It's up to like once a week. There was, It was twice a week for a while, but we stopped doing live action because like people mostly wanted to watch animation and like the live action stuff wouldn't get that many views. Um, uh... And now it's up to like four hundred fifty thousand, but it, it's it's it is harder now to to get subscribers than it was in twenty thirteen, twenty twelve, twenty fourteen, and, and before, uh, just because they changed their algorithm. Yeah, um, that's what I heard. I don't know how to do it. I mean, I'm trying. I just guess just make videos, and then it's like it's just so disheartening because you just post it, and then it'll get like. Like, the algorithm doesn't share it anywhere. Like, it yeah. literally just doesn't do anything. It'll be posted, and then 100 people see it. Yeah. And, like, what, like, I don't even know. All you could do is try and, like, upload it yourself on Reddit with bots and, like, get it to the top of Rising and see if it goes up from there. And then it's, like, if it doesn't, it's done. Yeah. It, Forever. It's also, find it? it's also one of those deals where it, it, it's just a, it's a tough situation because, like, they have they have subscribers and you have subscriptions like i i watch youtube mostly on my apple tv because i like watching stuff on the big screen more so than watching stuff on on my mm-hmm. phone and i know i'm not typical like that because actually most shit is watched on phones like yeah i think like 80 percent of youtube videos are watched on phones but i like watching on the big screen and like i'm subscribed to like 300 things but they've made it hard to find when when they even upload when new stuff. things upload stuff. So even so, if you're subscribed, you don't see it a lot of times. Uh, through the app for sure. Like on Apple TV, it's a little bit easier because like they do have a more accurate feed. But that's like why everybody begs like click the bell for subscription oh, notifications. And yeah, and it's like wasn't that the point of subscribing was to know when the video came out you also have to click a fucking bell for the notification like so so just changing their interface and little things that are making it harder for even subscribers to get yeah it's Uh, it's a weird deal what do you do I mean I don't know I always read up on this stuff and it always brings me in circles about like the keyword optimization and like getting collaborating with like higher people to share it and like doing all these things that I find so disgustingly boring and terrible and I've even been like okay fucking i'm just gonna do it and they do literally has like no effect yeah like i mean keyword searching what is like if i made a a random sketch who's gonna search for this i can't do that it has to be something i guess people are gonna search for so i guess i have to pander the concept at least yeah i mean and to me to me it's like i don't even know that people should worry about that sort of stuff anymore it's just like just make sure it's good yeah. Like that's that's the most important thing because like especially for anyone in our business and, and, and people that are uh, especially the ones who are aspiring and stuff like that. It's like just make stuff that's good that makes it look like you belong because the type of shit that like Jake Paul does or whatever that doesn't really translate to to the kind of careers we want to have. Yeah. It's like that's that sort of stuff works to get a lot of views on YouTube, but you're not but, gonna get career but, screenwriting. Yeah, we wanna we wanna make movies and TV shows and sketch shows or or like whatever the thing is. So like, I'm all about like just make 
just make good stuff that 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 you're proud of and if if it's visual and dynamic and about something and relates to people sometimes it will pop like a lot of times it, it's not going to pop into like huge views but uh cuz i i see so many people making stuff that's easy and i went on this big rant in the pat community group uh over the holidays about did you see the haymaker opening video their new opening video for the uh, sketch one team of the haymaker sketch teams. that was yeah. a really good one yeah. yeah like they they it looks like a fucking I mean, it's a parody of a of a it's scene from it's a movie, like but that. like, yeah, I like, uh, no, they just went down to the L.A. River and like. Wait, which one was it? How'd it go? It was the one where uh, there are a couple good ones I saw. Like it starts off, it's like a parody of this scene from Buckaroo Banzai, which is this old '80s movie, but it's shot entirely in the L.A. River. It looks very cinematic, like there's like shots from like super up high, and they're like, did you use a drone? And it's like, no, we just actually got a really tall ladder, uh, and stuff like that. And I'm like, they they made, it's just an opening credits video for a, a pack theater sketch team. Like it should have no views online because of what it is, because it's not content, it's just the opening credits to a sketch show. But like, it got thousands of views right. online, and like, hundreds of shares and stuff because it's it's visual and it's dynamic and it looks like a million bucks even though they spent nothing on it other than like they got some cool costumes that everybody pitched in and paid for themselves um and and it's one of those things where like they all look like fucking movie stars in it and it i i think that's what people should be doing is like show people the type of stuff that, that that you're capable of a lot of times people go for the easy internet video which is like i'll do something in front of a green screen i'll do a commercial parody not that there's anything wrong with commercial parodies or, or anything like that like i teach them in my class but they'll go for the the easy video to make whereas if there's a degree of difficulty involved a lot of times people audiences really respect that it's like holy shit they fucking made this like we had we also had another group at the pack theater who made this like viral la la land parody back when that was out called really? realistic la la land and it had a bunch of views but what they did was you know that uh scene in la la land where they all like sort of get out of their cars yeah and like start singing and dancing it's like that and it's all one shot and there's like 27 people in the video and like they recreated traffic jam but what they did was like they just called up a local business out here in north hollywood that had a big parking lot and they're like hey do you mind if we come out here at six in the morning or, or whatever and just like kind of take over this parking lot and we're gonna do everything in one shot and they rehearsed it off site and it's fucking great wow and and part of part of the reason like why people share it is like yes it's it's a funny parody of this thing but also to me it's like there's a degree of difficulty involved where it's like holy shit these people made this for no money like how did they do this yeah and uh another one was um another pack group uh pack theater sketch group tiny muscles they made this one that had like three million views online what's called like uh cell block mansplango or something where it's like the cell block tango from chicago and they built a set 
in like a garage that was like looked like a jail so they could light it like Chicago and it was something that didn't cost like a lot of money for them to do but they put in the extra effort and there was like a degree of difficulty involved and they went out of their way to make something sort of really cool so I th- I think that's what people should be should be doing is like let's let's make some fucking cool shorts and, and and stuff like that like you don't have to just make short films to put in festivals and a lot of times when you do do that you you shouldn't put them online or you're not allowed to put them online depending on the festival because like they're like well this can't have been on YouTube already or whatever but you don't need to make a a short for like a thousand bucks or two thousand or five thousand or however much that costs to, to go into festivals when you can just make things that are cinematic and cool um on your own yeah and, it, and it's like super low stakes like the thing that i'm shopping around right now to networks that i mean it's probably not gonna i hope it winds up as a tv show but you always have to assume that there's like a one percent chance of these things happening the thing started off as, as like one sketch I made and and people started to see it and there was like a buzz around it where they're like, oh, this could be like a whole TV show. And I didn't even think of it as that, but it was just like one sketch. And I was like, oh, that, I guess it could be a, a show because things can sort of evolve organically out of that too. Um, we probably talked about this in class, but we can talk about it on the podcast. Like I think people make web series wrong. Because they make them backwards from how TV shows are made. Oh, yeah, made. they make them all first. Yeah, they make them all first. Whereas, like, ABC doesn't... They're not typically... Like, they would if, like, Tom Hanks came in and was like, I want to do a... I want to do a show on ABC every Monday night. They'd be like, all right, Tom Hanks, here you go. Yeah. 18 episodes or whatever. Um, but for most shows, they make a pilot. And then they see if, like, any... Then they go out to malls or casinos and invite regular people and show them the pilot and ask them questions and see what they like about it and don't like about it and would would they watch it if it was on TV they focus test things uh, before they decide to make 12 more or whatever and now when everyone makes web series and I get why they do it but they make like they'll make all 12 things and, and waste their own money and they don't even know if anyone likes the first one so I always tell people like, hey, if you got an idea for a show or whatever and you're going to do it through web series, just make one. Like Drunk History, like Derek Waters, I saw him screen that at that El Cid place. Really? Yeah. Like he had just made one. And then people were like, holy shit, this is fucking cool. Um, like just make one. And and the, and, and the work that you it takes for you to to make those 12 different things, you can make 12 different like sizzle reels essentially or mini pilots. Let's see what gains traction. Yeah, and if any of them gain traction, then like you make more of those. So like or M- if it VP, have you heard of that? What's that? MVP is like minimum viable product yeah. in like tech. When you make a website or something or an app, you make the minimum set of like usable features that like are what you want to like it's the gist of what you're trying to make. Yeah. And you see people use it. Yeah. And if they don't, then you like pivot and do something else. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah, because like I'll see people making web series about like a fucking. And it's always about Hollywood shit too, which I always tell people not to do. 
but they'll make web series about like oh it's a commercial casting office <laughs> whatever and then not realize too meta and like not really yeah like anyone. no one fucking cares uh about that stuff um and i understand why people do shoot 12 at a time or six at a time because it is cost effective like if you're renting an or renting an office or getting an office from a friend with a hookup for a location you're like okay we can knock these out in like two days or whatever but at the same time like you could make that thing that takes place in the office and you could also make like a a comedy with some thriller elements and you could make a comedy with some sort of sci-fi elements or you could like try a bunch of different things because you never necessarily know like i never thought that i would have made most of my money writing animated stuff um but i have so like uh and i found that i like animation more because it's less limiting than just doing stuff with regular people and and regular shots and it's a lot more visual and stuff like that but you never really know what you like the best and, and what sort of what genres like you like the best unless you you tried a bunch of different stuff kind of like what we were talking about earlier that's cool so that brings me to like when you after so i guess i'm going back in time here in this podcast but so after you uh like we got back from the snl audition and like came back doing stand-up how, did you just like find how did you find out your path or your what you wanted to focus on um i always got like i always had like a big problem with like anxiety and stuff like that and i started to like hate performing more uh even when it was like even when it was like good like i didn't really get too much joy out of it and i've always sort of had the more the personality of um like in sports where if it's like when you're playing basketball or something like that i always like like the idea of like getting assists and stuff like that because like i always whether it's my personality or what like or or my psychological makeup like i think it's cool to throw a really good pass that leads to like an awesome thing more than just shoot every time down the floor and and same thing with like football and, and stuff like that it's like if you're a quarterback you can keep throwing deep to the same guy over and over and hope it works out or you can spread the ball around to people and and when i was doing sketch stuff i i started to be like oh shit like first off because i have low confidence in in my own abilities uh always worry about how i'm gonna screw up my funny idea and if i just give it to people who i already know are funny they're gonna make me look good like I, i think i said earlier so um that was that was sort of the thing and i was around that time starting to get paid to do like road stuff in stand-up and getting paid to do comedy at any level is uh a blessing and lucky and awesome and stuff like that it was just never sort of quite what i imagined at first uh like from like stand-up like i'd go I'd go, like, do, like, a casino in Reno, Nevada or something, like, I don't think it's even still open, like, this one, but there was, like, the Funny Bone in Reno and one of the casinos, and I remember, like, there was, like, two shows Friday and Saturday, and I was getting paid, like, 
however much it's not important it wasn't like a thousand dollars but it was good enough to justify traveling there and uh like for some of the early shows like everybody was like old and like i didn't feel like they got me and i didn't care and i was just like is this what it is because that's like like i'm sure it's fun to when you've gotten to that level where you're doing your own theater shows like touring and stuff like that like how like someone like an Anthony Jeselnik or someone who like goes out who who I've known like I've known him since like I first moved out here pretty much really yeah uh he's awesome he, he's like one of the funniest comedians but also like he's a really nice guy <laughs> like much more than you would think from his like Twitter persona and his comedy yeah, persona like, he's like just a really good dude uh like someone like him goes and does like these theater shows and like I'm like they're paying to see him and it's like a fucking blast but like when you're at that young level it's like they're not paying to see you they're just going out to see comedy and like they don't care about your stupid like you need to like relate to them and that was something I was never good at when I was younger performing outside of LA was like relating to to real audiences because I didn't know shit about shit yet Kind of what I was talking about earlier. It's like I had no life experience. It was just like, I just did comedy and that was it. And I was just like, is this all there fucking is? And I, like, I remember a show like that. Like, I fucking, like, I just bombed the whole weekend. Like, they told me, like, after the first Saturday show, after I'd done three of the four, they're like, you don't need to do the fourth one. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, because I just, like, ate shit so many times wow. in a row. Um,. Yeah, me and my friend were talking about that yesterday. Just going to some shows in LA. Right? Yeah. You're just like, why? Yeah. This is, sucks. This isn't fun. And I had like a, I had a really negative, I had a really negative uh, thought process going into it where it's like, I don't fucking give a shit about this shit and who cares and like, and like whatever. Like, place is fucking. 75% empty and like everyone who's there is like 60 like it sucks and I remember talking to Jesselnick like he did uh, he did that place probably a month after I did it he's like I don't know what you're talking about man this place is great and I was just like huh. well you're probably just a lot better than me at it you love it it's like I don't love it um, so it's it's like different for everybody and it, it's just one of those things where stand-up wasn't like my first love or anything like that it was sort of like you would hear this a lot like in the in the era that i came out where it's like oh so and so is just doing stand-up to get on a sitcom or to get on tv or to People get on still say that, I oh, okay so they still say that it's like it's kind of like a bad thing like in la that's people's reputation of doing stand-up in la yeah versus like new york and, and then i'd like look at myself in retrospect and it's like yeah i was pretty much doing it for that yeah, <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't love it in the way that like these New York comics they love it. And, like, yeah, it's like you gotta breathe stand up, and it's like, and and that works for for some people, and I'm not I'm not throwing shade at that in, in any way. That's that's just not me. Um, it never was. So then you went to writing. So I did the uh, I did the honorable thing and just got the fuck out of like the way of the people who like love it like that. Uh, so yeah, nice. But but yeah. And I've always been, like, just because I'm sort of shy and introverted, like, 
I, I love sitting in front of a computer and typing out funny shit more so than I do. Like killing. Yeah. Because, like, I've killed before and I've bombed before and killing doesn't, like, make me any happier or anything like yeah. that. And, like, bombing, like, it, like, sucks, but it's it's going to happen no matter who you are. And I just get more joy out of seeing, like, someone who I think's really funny, like, saying the shit I came up with. That's cool. Um, the mind of a writer. Yeah. Um, you have any cool things coming up that you want to share with people? Uh, gotta, I don't know when this will come out, but, like, we always got sketch, this week. sketch classes coming out of the Pack Theater. Um, we have classes, if this comes out next week, we have classes starting on the 8th and the 10th. Uh, they're almost all sold out, uh, <laughs> so don't bother. <laughs> but they start every two months or whatever. So, and I, I always, and you know this from having taken the class. Like, I'm not the sort of typical, typical sketch or improv teacher where it's like we're just gonna learn this and that's that. Because like when I remember sitting in sketch classes myself, being like, okay, then what? Like, we learn how to do this shit, then what? Like, there's only, like... Like, I took my first sketch writing class in L.A. at UCB. I took it while I was, like, up for that year at SNL. And then I took my second class after I didn't make it. And then after that, I'm like, okay, what's the point? Like, I'm not going to be on SNL, and I'm not probably not going to write for it. So what do we do with this information? So I, I tend to like to, in class, like I'm going to give you all the basics and, and give you basics in a, a different way than you get at most schools, but we also get into talking about this kind of shit. Um, and because I'm kind of in the unique position of like, there aren't, and Gina's this way too, because she's a she's a professional writer, and Sam Brown, who, who teaches there, who's on Whitest Kids You Know, and Mike Upchurch, who teaches at the PAC, who's won Emmys and stuff like that. There aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of teachers who are currently doing it. And, and sometimes at schools, they hire teachers who were just like really great students who, who do a lot of good stuff around the thing and are about to be professional writers, and then they do that, and then they stop teaching. I've always tried to do do both because when I, when I was sitting in sketch classes, not to throw shade at any of my old teachers, but like I was always fascinated with like just listening to people's perspectives on things and uh, their trials and tribulations and, and their successes and whatnot. So we also talk a lot about the business of of comedy. And I don't think I know everything or, or anything like that. And I'm, I'm still learning and navigating my career myself. But I've been lucky enough to, to be paid uh, to do comedy pretty much regularly since uh, the early 2010s, pretty much straight through. So we, we talk about that kind of stuff and how you can hopefully parlay what's great about sketch comedy. Because sketch comedy is great. What's great about that that you can hopefully parlay into other things because most, I'll, I'll, I won't say most, but a lot, well, I'll say most, <laughs> most comedy writers and, and comedy stars have some level of sketch and improv background. It's mm -hmm. just like how did they parlay that into that? Yeah. Um, 
because what's great about sketch is that it's a it's a quick and easy way for you to just practice making shit and that's going to put you ahead of the people who just write it's going to put you ahead of your competitors who are only writing like two screenplays a year yeah or they'll write a couple original pilots a year and, and try to get staffed that way it's like you're making shit like every day and every week or or whatever and you're also doing the stuff that they do but but you just keep continuously getting better because you're getting feedback from live audiences and internet audiences and stuff like that and that's that's why sketch comedy is important i'm really big on the why and and we talk about like a lot of business type stuff industry shit that's cool i took the class and i really liked it so i recommend people take it it was a good class yeah sweet man well thanks so much for yeah thanks for having me it was really informative and helpful yeah hopefully i wasn't rambling too much or anything like that but uh yeah hey guys thanks so much for tuning into working comic podcast there's a new episode every week where i interview writers directors comedians producers any kind of creative thing you can think of and also the business side of things so club owners agents managers festival runners all that stuff so tune in every week and uh also follow me on social media at the austin nasso on twitter facebook and instagram and you can also catch me on youtube with chabros c-h-a-a bros one word uh we have some funny videos up so check it out thanks guys